Welcome and good morning. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here. Also, if you're visiting with us, you may not be aware, but we've been going through the book of Exodus for the last 40 years, and we're almost finished. Uh, we've got uh, two more weeks to go. So this week and next week, we'll be covering, covering a lot of territory uh, both weeks. But this week, we're going to cover two chapters, and then uh, next week, we're going to cover the last five chapters together, and we'll wrap it up. We'll have a little a special presentation here as a part of our wrap-up. Before we kick off this morning, let me, let me say a word of prayer. Father, we have um, felt in a number of different ways that uh, today has been um, uh, interrupted, and um, certainly for us as a, a, a group, as a body, and maybe even for some of us as individuals, and that may be an indication, Lord, that you want to do something this morning. We don't believe that any of us are here by accident. For a few of us, we're here by habit. Others of us are here because someone invited or we thought it was time. We've driven by this church, but it's not an accident. We're here because you uh, assigned it. And we believe it's because you want to speak. You have already stirred our hearts as we worship you. Pray now, Lord, that you would um, speak and that we wouldn't miss it. Break open our chests and massage your truth into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this is the next installment uh, in our journey through Exodus. And this morning we're looking at chapters 33 and 34. And we will read large sections. We won't read it all, but we'll read large sections of that this morning. We'll break it up bit by bit because we're going to, we're going to, um, make five observations. It's a lot, so we won't spend much time on any of them. Maybe the first one a little more than any of the rest. But we're going to make five observations. Somewhere in here, I have a sense that the Holy Spirit wants to grab your heart and mine with one or two or five of these in particular. Uh, five principles that were operating behind the story of Moses in Exodus 33 and 34 and principles that are still in operation today. The first one come, spills right out of the first few verses of Exodus 33. And if we gave it a title, we might say something like having all of God or having God's best. And we won't do this with every section of Scripture that we read, but we're going to read chapter 33 of Exodus verses 1 through 6. And let's stand out of reverence for God's Word. Let's go old school. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give, and now he's rehearsing their history, I will give to your descendants, uh, I, will, I will give to your descendants, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. And no one put on any ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you're a stiff-necked people. If, if I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now, now take off your ornaments, and, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments out at Mount Horeb. All right, you may be seated. Um, it's time to get going. 
but I'm not going with you. That's essentially what God said. I might destroy you if I go with you, but you go ahead. My angel will go before you, but I will not. In other words, God was going to fulfill his covenant promises to these people. He's going to give them the land, but he would not be personally among them. We're going to see more what this means in a moment, but this was a heavy thing for the Israelites to hear. They called it distressing news. Now we're going to skip verses 7 through 11 and move over to the next part of the same dialogue, chapter 33, verses 12 through 14 now. So verses 12 through 14, Moses said to the people, you've been telling me, I'm sorry, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and and you have found favor with me, but if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And the you here probably refers to the entire company, to all of the Israelites. So Moses is once again here appealing to God, just like he did back in chapter 32, if you were here last week. In effect, Moses says, you must go with us, God. We want all of you, not just your angel. We want all of you. We want all that you have for us. We want your best. Okay, the phrase is, know you by name and have found favor with me. These are just two uh, Hebrew idiomatic ways of saying we're in a right relationship. We're friends with one another. Moses was relying on this. He was, in fact, appealing to this idea to make his plea before God. I'm reminded of John 15, 15, where Jesus says to us, I no longer call you servant. Instead, I've called you my friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I made known to you. So did you notice in verse 13 where Moses prayed, teach me your ways? Let me make a comment about that. Your ways here refers to how God acts his methods, his character, his standards. In other words, this is entirely objective. This is how God works in the world. This is a significant part of how God reveals himself to us. We learn his ways through his word and through times of hearing others teach us about God and through seeing the results of his actions in the world. This is why we need to know his story why we need to know how he has operated throughout history. We need to know his standards. This is God's way. Listen, don't snooze on this. We don't know God simply by having some sort of inexplicable, mystical communion with him. The gauge of our knowledge of God is not how close we feel to him. The gauge of our knowledge of God is not how close we feel to him. We know him increasingly and in large part by learning his ways. That means by learning his revealed standards, his revealed methods, and his revealed benefits. In other words, we learn through objective truths rather than subjective emotional means. This is why we focus on the Bible. This is why we gather together and tell one another stories about God. This is why we we walk through the book of Exodus together. Right, let's finish this, this first part. Uh, Verses 15 through 17 of chapter 33. Then Moses said to him, to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, 
do not send us from here. He's making sure, he's nailing down this plate. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. In this section, Moses is just securing the answer he's kind of already gotten, right? He wants additional reassurance because this is a big deal. Moses and the people in general, by the way, they want all of God. They want God's best. And the Lord agrees. He responds again to one of Moses' petitions, just like he did in chapter 32, where he prayed and God answered. Well, here, Moses prays for God to be fully present, and God agrees to do so. So if we had to boil down this entire section, Moses' request to God, it would be, Lord, go with us. You go with us. We want all of you. We want your best. And I, you you know what that makes me think? It, It makes me think that maybe we can have part of God. Maybe we can have less than God's best. Maybe we can have less than all that God wants for us. So you can do that relationship with that guy, but you won't have all of God. You won't have God's best if you do. You can take that job. You'll have some success, but you won't have God's best if you do. You can try that business, but you won't have God's best if you do. You won't have all of God. You can make that move. You can move your family. There'll be some good things in it, but you won't have all of God. You won't have his best if you do. These these kinds of choices, they often seem perfectly logical things to do. There may be a measure of success in them, but you won't have all of God if you do. Listen, there, there are decisions, there are efforts in our lives that aren't epic like this. There are times when God is much more interested in our general obedience or in the process that we go through than he is even in the specific decisions we make. For example, imagine Moses wrestling over when the, when the, the, the Israelites were camping by tribes. Imagine Moses wrestling over, where do I, where do I tell the tribe of Judah to, to camp? Do they camp next to the Benjamites or next to the Levites? God! God might be saying, I don't care, Moses, make a decision. Think of of Moses laboring over who he would appoint to be leaders when he he subdivided and delegated some of his leadership responsibilities. First of all, that whole idea came from his father-in-law, Jephro. God affirmed it, but it it didn't even directly come from God. And then we don't have anywhere an indication that God gave him a list of 70 leaders that he wanted to delegate various responsibilities to. No, Moses just used wise discernment over who would be the right people to lead. There are decisions that we make that, that don't involve the, the kind of specific, they, they're not as epic. God is not necessarily interested in the specifics. He's interested in our general obedience, and he's interested in the process that we use in seeking him. But, but there are decisions that matter. There are directions we take, lifestyle choices we make that are not God's best for us. 
And we may go and, and, and we may have some success, but we won't have all of God. We won't have God's best for us. You can, you can plan your way out of this, Ed. You can, you can try to work that plan, but what I really want is for you to wait and pray. So if you, if you try to go ahead, you'll have some success, but you won't have all of me. But Moses, to his credit, was unwilling to move out without God fully behind him. And so were the people. He would not move without all of God, all of his presence, all of his power, all of his assurance. In fact, in a rare case of being rightly aligned with God, the entire company of Israelites seemed to want to be rightly aligned with God before they would move out at all. I mean, the question for us is, do you want all of God? It, it, it may require waiting. It may require doing some spiritual work. There's a second theme I want us to pick up from just these verses, the ones that we've already read. We'll be quicker with this one, but uh, let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 33. I want you to see this. This is an interesting one. Spoke to me this week. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is how the chapter started. Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, I will give this to your descendants. Okay, so they've been at, if you've been following with us, they've been at Mount Sinai now for about 10 months. By the time they leave, it will be roughly 10 months. So this is a pretty long time. But it was always, don't miss this, it was always intended to be temporary. This was a very important place for them, but it was temporary. Really important things happened here. This is where they got the Ten Commandments. This is where they got the specifics of the covenant. This is where they arranged the, the, the relationship with God. They, they built the covenant and confirmed the covenant together. This is also where they saw some significant theophanies. That means a, a literal appearance of God. There were significant appearances of God here. God showed more about himself and to Moses and to the people in general here. This is an important part of the story and an important stay for them. But it was always temporary. And this entire section of Exodus 33 that we've read so far was really about God saying, let's get going. The mission is still on. It makes me think that there have been some stays at Mount Sinai in my life. There have been some periods of rest, some vacations. There have been some periods of grief. There have been some times of sickness Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's cancer. There have been whole seasons, times when my kids were little, or trying seasons relationally, or in church, or an educational season. Sometimes we are at a place of importance in our lives, but it's temporary. There are lessons for us to learn, but it's temporary. We've got something to process or something to get through, but it's not permanent. The mission for your life is still on. God is taking us somewhere, and that hasn't changed. So what I'd like to do here for just a moment is I'd like you to think for a moment about what might have been a Mount Sinai time for you, or you may be in one now. A, t a place of importance, 
a, a, a swirling eddy in a stream. You may not be sure what's happening right now, but it's important. God is teaching you something, and you need to be reminded this morning it's temporary. Let me, let me pray over us this morning. Let, let's pray real, really quickly for, for our Mount Sinai times that we're in or that are coming. Father, I pray for grace and patience. Sometimes Mount Sinai places in our lives can be sweet. Often they're very difficult. There's confusion or there is sickness or there's grief. I, pl- I pray, Jesus, your blessing that you would bless and keep those who are in a place of Mount Sinai this morning. I pray that you would cover them. I pray, Lord, that what we need to gain, the ways that we need to be bolstered, the way our heart needs to be expanded or the lessons that we need to learn, Father, I pray that we would collect it, that we would learn it, that we would take it on. And then this morning, God, I pray for a clear reminder that we're on mission. We've still got a place to go. You're still going to lead us there. In Jesus' name, amen. A third principle uh, shows up when we read the next section from chapter 33. And if we gave it a title, we would say, God shows himself to us. So let's read 33, 18 through 23 now. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. If you're expecting me to fully explain this passage to you, good luck. This is a tough one. Uh, More comments in a minute. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, Look, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now, this is the fifth theophany in the book of Exodus. And theophany, fancy word for when God shows up. I I want you to hear what Dr. Doug Stewart Uh, said about this. I want you to hear his explanation of this. He says, you're going to see this on the screen. He says, what happened in these theophanies was not that Moses actually saw God in the same way believers will see him in heaven, but that God manifested himself by producing for Moses' benefit some sort of shape that was visible and therefore gave a sense of closeness and locality to his contact with Moses. And I read that because my response to Stuart's explanation is, what? That doesn't help me at all. That's at least as confusing as the passage itself. Now, we don't have time to unpack some of the phrases here and what they might mean, but I want, I want to make sure you realize that we can't take the mystery and weirdness out of this encounter. There's, there's a reason this encounter gets included in Moses' story, and it's been remembered by Christians over the centuries. These things don't happen very often. Moses asks to see all of God as he really is. So this is another request by Moses, essentially for more. I want more of you, God. And while God cannot fully accommodate this request, he does show Moses more. He can't accommodate it fully because we cannot see God and live. 
It's too much for us. But God seems to be delighted with this request. And he answers to the degree that he can while still protecting Moses. It seems like he wants to show us more of himself. It seems like God wants to show us more of himself. It seems like God wants to reveal himself to us. And this desire, God's desire to show himself to us, this desire is at the core of our entire belief system. Don't miss this. This one's on the screen as well. What we believe is built almost entirely on the idea that God has shown himself to us as best he can given our limitations and that he is delighted to do so. Our entire belief system is built on this. He wants us to know him. So Moses asks God for his glory. He wants to see his glory. You know, the, the root of the Hebrew word glory, the word that the Hebrew word for glory comes from is the word for heaviness or weightiness. God is literally a weighty being, and, and it is a weighty thing when God shows us something of himself. That revelation changes things. This past Sunday night, uh, Jay Anderson spoke to our teenagers, and I've had several people tell me about that. Thank you, Jay. Uh, Jay talked to the teenagers about gravity. I'm going to use gravity as an illustration. Jay, if I butcher this, don't tell me. Um, I would have had you come up and do it, but I didn't know if we'd be able to understand it, really. If we, but we think of gravity often as, uh, it's like masses being attracted to one another, almost like, like a magnet. But technically, they tell us it's, it's not really like that. It's more like, you know, imagine a netting uh, or, or, say, a trampoline. And, and let's put a, a bunch of little plastic balls on a trampoline, and now let's take a, a, a bowling ball and put it in the middle of the trampoline. And it, it affects the, the netting, the web of the trampoline so that the, the little plastic balls now begin to be attracted, drawn toward the weight, the mass of the, the large bowling ball. And Large masses sit in space almost as if they're on top of a netting like the space-time continuum. And other masses are, are drawn toward them because of the, 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 the weight, the, the heaviness, their impact on the, on the fabric. When God shows himself to us, we are drawn in. We are literally weighed down in the best possible way. Other things fall away in light of the heaviness, the weightiness of God, and we're changed. I'm going to illustrate that at the end of today with a personal story. I want us to notice that when Moses asks to see God's glory, well, he'd already seen his glory. He'd seen God's glory, and he talked about it this way, in the cloud. He'd seen it up on the mountain. He'd seen it through God's mighty works repeatedly. But Moses wanted a fresh encounter and perhaps a fuller encounter. Again, he's asking for more. He wanted to bolster his own confidence, and he simply wanted all of God. And so God showed more of himself to Moses. And, and, and this, this whole request is suggestive of something more subjective in our experience, more internal. Moses wanted to encounter God through his experience, through his emotions even, if you will not just through what he knew about God. Remember earlier, 
We noted that Moses asked God to teach him his ways, and this was a request for knowing God objectively through his actions. Well, here, there is a request that points more towards Moses' Moses's internal experience. Even though the request is to see God, really Moses already knows he cannot see God and live. This is a request to experience God more deeply. And Jesus makes it clear that for us to, to truly know him, it involves both of these things, both our mind and our hearts, both our subjective experience and our objective knowledge. For example, in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's account of Jesus, Jesus lays out some very clear teaching with standards and expectations and patterns to be followed. This is Jesus' way. And then he summarizes at the end of that teaching and he says, if you follow my way, it'll be like you're a wise person, you're building a secure uh, house on a secure foundation. If you do not follow my way, it will be as if you're a fool. You're building on a faulty foundation. But then at another time, Jesus is talking to a friend named Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And Jesus says, Nick, if you want all that God has for you, it's like you've got to be born again. You've got to become a new person inside. You have to experience God through the Spirit. Later, Jesus said, Hey, the entire Old Testament can be summarized like this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In other words, with all of yourself. So, God wants to reveal himself. The question is, do you know God's ways? Do you know his character? Do you know his word? Do you, do you know what he expects? Do you rely on your feelings? Do you know him? Don't rely on your feelings, but don't forget your feelings. Have you experienced him emotionally? Have you felt the tug and the change that comes over a human heart when it encounters the weightiness of God? Listen, Jesus is the key to all of that. All right, two more. These are quick. Our next theme falls out of chapter 34. So let's look there now. Chapter 34, Exodus 34, uh, God is going with Moses, and Moses is going to go back on the mountain, and this is what happens. 34, 1 through 11. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there at the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even flocks, herds may gaze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, and he went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him, and he carried the two tablets in his hand, and the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So much good stuff in this. Well, let's keep going. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if, if I found favor in your eyes, then, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a sniff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. So he's redoing the covenant. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll recognize that. 
Before all you people, I, I will do wonders never before done in all the nations and all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. And then what follows these verses for the next, uh, I don't know, 13, 14, maybe longer verses is a, a rehashing of the Ten Commandments and even some of the regulations that he gave in chapters 21 through 23. So let's review. After the time of pleading with God in, in chapters 32 and 33, and after Moses' pretty epic encounter with God, both in prayer and then on this, this intense internal experience of, of seeing God's back, then God invites Moses back up onto the mountain, back to receive the Ten Commandments again, back to receive again some of the regulations and reminders and stipulations, back again to review and renew the covenant that they had established together just a few weeks earlier. God takes Moses back to the basics this is a summary of the next 17 verses of, of chapter 34. We are in a covenant relationship with one another. Moses, I am your God. You're my people. Here's your part. Blah, 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 blah. Here's who I am and what I will do. This is what God often does. He very often takes us back to the basics. I was talking about this yesterday with my wife, Diane, and she said, yep, I believe he has to because we forget. He may even take us back to where things started for us spiritually. Do you remember some of the basics that God has taught you over the years about who he is for you, what he's done for you, in you, and through you? Do you remember the encounters you've had with him over the years? Do you remember words he's spoken to you? Do you need to revisit some of that? God always takes us back to the basics. Final theme shows up at the end of chapter 34. If we had to give it a title, we would say, and we are changed. 34, 29 through 35, and let's go old school as we conclude and stand out of reverence for God's word. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. This is just so freaky and very cool. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. Next slide. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face, but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, told the Israelites what he'd been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant, and then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. You may be seated. When we encounter God, we are changed. It shows up in our lives. Usually not as dramatically <laughs> as it did with Moses, but we are changed. I spent time with someone recently who is experiencing change in their life right now. And they told me a couple of times in this conversation that the people in their life have noticed the change in their life, and this is not unusual. When we encounter God, we are changed. This can happen... Um, uh, epically for the rest of our lives, and it can happen momentarily. 
When we encounter God, we're changed. Uh, several years ago, uh, a couple of years ago, during COVID, uh, Diane and I had good friends visit us. And this, this, is, this guy, well, his name is Tom, and he's just a great brother. Um, it has a, an intense walk with Christ. So one of the mornings that they were at our house, they got a, a, Tom got up really early. It's his habit. And he went outside, outside into our backyard before any of the rest of us were up. So uh, Diane was, got up and was busy um, taking care of everyone. And uh, I got up sometime after that. I walked downstairs and I saw Tom sitting in our backyard in a chair, um, uh, hands up, and, and I, I could tell that he was in prayer. So I didn't want to disturb him. Um, uh, Diane and I made some breakfast, and uh, Tom's wife and Diane and I started talking breakfast. We start serving up breakfast. We start eating breakfast. We look outside, and Tom is uh, drenched with sweat, not even noticing. He's just in prayer. Uh, we continue to eat breakfast and talk, and after a little while, I look out, and Tom is physically shaking a little bit. And I looked at Brenda, and I said, his wife's name is Brenda, I looked at Brenda, and I said, is he okay? And she says, uh, once in a great while, this will happen when Tom is in God's presence. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's experiencing a vision. A little while later, um, Tom kind of comes to himself and walks inside. And uh, I said, that was intense. What happened? <laughs> and uh, he started to speak, and he couldn't. And he said, excuse me, I need to go collect myself for a minute. He went upstairs. 15, 20 minutes later, he, he came back downstairs and told us uh, his experience. He had had a vision, and God had spoken to him, and it had been very, very intense for him, and we could tell. We could see it. For the rest of the days that they spent with us, Tom's demeanor, his, his face uh, was different. Um, he, I think he would still say that this is one of the 10 most intense uh, spiritual experiences of his life, it was kind of amazing to watch it from a distance. Uh, several years ago, right after we had first moved in to our building, we, we opened this building. If you're newer with us, we opened this building in 2017, and some of you saw it, it being constructed. Uh, not long after we opened this building, the next year, the church had grown quite a bit at that point, and we had an Awana program on Wednesday night. All of that is just detail. It was a really not a good time for me. I don't want to go into why it was not a good time for me because that's too, number one, it's too personal. And number two, it makes me look too bad. But it was not a good time. And I wasn't doing well with this not good time. Um, I, yeah, I should give you some specifics so you would know how not well I was doing. But I won't, again, because it's too personal and because it's, it makes me look too bad. Uh, to not doing well. Um, so I, uh, I, I have a practice of a few times a year. Over the years, I go to a monastery. And the one that I go to in Virginia is about 45 minutes from here. It's on the Shenandoah River. And usually I go um, Thursday through Sunday morning. Uh, sometimes I'll go for the whole week. But 
very, very rarely, you can go for two, they divide the week into two. So you can go the first part of the week, end of the week, or you can go for the whole week. I almost always go the end of the week. Once in a while, I'll go the whole week. I think this might have been the only time that I ever went first part of the week. So I went Sunday afternoon, went to the monastery, again, not doing well. I didn't take anything with me but a Bible and something to write with. No other book. Once in a while when I go, I'll take my golf clubs or, uh, but nothing. I just took my Bible and a notebook and I intended to do some business with God. So I spent three and a half days just walking miles, praying, seeking God, show me your glory. I want more of you. What's going on? You know, I'm messing up right now. Help. Here's how I'm messing up. You already know, but let me tell you rehearsing, reciting. I want you to know, I didn't have any experience like, ah, I felt no, uh, I, I, you know, I just, I didn't feel knocked out. I'm working my brains out to get in touch with God and, you know, just going after his presence. And I got, I'm not feeling anything. Wednesday afternoon, it's time for me to leave. So instead of driving straight home, I drove here uh, for Awanas. All I can report are the facts I get out of the car. There are two ladies standing there. They no longer go to Gateway, uh, but they were kind of circling around Gateway at the time very irregularly. They were from another country. Both of them for, were from the same country in Africa, and they're pro- part of a church that's in another part of the D.C. area, and they were at that moment out there talking about, you know, our kids kind of like it here. What do we do? We want to be connected there. We want to be connected here. I walk in in the middle of that discussion, and I don't know how, because this is not the kind of thing that they would have ordinarily shared with me. <laughs> but uh, I ask two or three questions. And the next thing I know that we're in the middle of this discussion. And uh, I don't know how to explain it to you, except I, I felt like everything I said was amazing. <laughs> I, I was just unbelievably wise and incredibly epic. I mean, there were several times where I said things and I thought, I want to write that down. That was super good. Uh, And by the end of it, of course, I had kind of helped these ladies connect to another church, unfortunately. But it was awesome conversation. We pray together. They feel so ministered to. I, I could feel it from their spirit. You know, they can't thank me enough. I walk inside and in our lobby, Someone who will remain nameless, one of you, uh, is not looking good at all. And I walk over, what's happening? Oh, and I get the laundry list and I said, let me pray for you. This will occasionally happen when my wife prays, very rarely when I do because she's more godly than I am. And I begin to pray and this person just starts weeping. And I pray and blessing and Jesus' name, amen. They hug me, might be the only time we've ever hugged. My shirt soaking wet. Thank you so much, Ed. I, I, every encounter I had that night, it was just like Holy Spirit. It was everything I said was Jesus. I get in the car two hours later and I start driving home and I realize, good grief, I'm changed because I encountered God. When we are in God's presence, we are changed. And often others notice it. Let's, let's do some work for a minute. I'm going to ask the worship team if they're here, if they'd come up. Um, some of us 
need to remember our significant times with God. We need to remember what he's done and the words that he's spoken. Some of us need to, need to, need to be drawn back in. And it will be back to the basics. It won't be anything dramatic and new. You're not ready for that. We need to be reminded of the basics. Paul has this really cool reference, just a passing little note. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, let's live up to what we've already attained. And some of us are not doing that. God, some of you, God has invested an awful lot in your lives, and you're not living up to it. I don't say that to create shame or make you feel guilty. I say that to encourage you, draw near and let him take you back to the basics. Some of us need to recognize this morning that we have never experienced God. I'm not talking about religion, both subjectively and objectively. We don't have a desire to know him, to know his word, to know things about him. And we've never felt that tug that changes us. We may not know enough about God, or maybe we've never internally changed, but been changed by an encounter with Jesus. So, pause. Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, I give you my life. I want you to be the governor of my life. I've been far from you, and I'm a sinner. And I ask you to change me and forgive me. If you prayed anything like that, by the way, I want to know uh, this morning or sometime this week, email me. Finally, some of us need to ask God for a fresh encounter. Some of us, like Moses, want to know more. And you need to ask him for a fresh encounter. Are your best spiritual stories 10 years old? <laughs> and it's time for a fresh encounter with God. Let's stand. Uh, so, Lord, um, we have been in your presence. We have uh, sung to you, and we have prayed, and we have heard from you. I pray that you would stir and that you would uh, seal anything that you've spoken or anything that you've done. Protect it. Wrap it up and use it. We want to, um, this morning, Lord, we want to put our period on this for our part of this. I encourage you, Lord, to continue to do your part. We want to put a period on our part. We want to give you glory as an act of our will, based on our experiences, based on what you've invested in our lives, based on what we know about you, based on your stories, based on your word, based on your power, but also based on the change that you've made in our life, the weightiness of you that we have felt. We want to give you glory. You are worthy. And we want you to hear that from your choir this morning.